0: Hello and welcome. This is Coaching as Benevolence, a podcast for people who are curious about using coaching for self-development. I'm Erin with Roots and Wings Grief and Loss Coaching.
1: And I'm LaShawn with Michelle Sage Place Positive Intelligence Coaching.
0: today we're talking about good enough and getting better. Uh, Better and good are sometimes problematic words, and yet they can also provide some helpful framing for where we're at in our lives, the outcomes we want to see, and helping us address our wants and needs. So maybe, LaShawn, do you have a story of a time when good enough worked for you,
1: one of the things that I have a tendency to do is I replay conversations in my head of what like what I could have done differently. One of the things that good enough does for me is it helps me let go of the need to replay conversations that happened in the past that I have no control over. they're done, it's done. So I say, okay, that was good enough. like for example, I had a conversation that kind of went off the rails, and I thought about, well, it was good enough because I got across what I needed to get across. Not in the best way, but it was good enough because I did communicate what I needed to communicate. But when I think about getting better, I think about this conversation went off the rails. I go back to when it did go off the rails and I realized, oh, it was because I was really concerned about my response. And rather than taking a break and asking the person to give, to let me take a break, like say, oh, I need a moment. I didn't do that. And so that's how the conversation went off the rails. So getting better would be for me um, just if I have another conversation where I feel like I need time to process what's happening, I can ask. I can say, oh, I'm really, you know, I just need a moment to just process. Then we could stay on the rails. But (laughs) that's just an example. And I don't even know if that's kind of what you had in mind, Erin, or if um, you could like fill me in.
0: I don't know if I had much in mind, just it was curious about the question, but I agree as you were talking, a lot of the good enough to me happens in difficult conversations because there's so much pressure I put on myself with that. And the, you know, sometimes we'll replay what I said, what I didn't say, because I do want to have intentionality behind it. And I do want it to be a way of effectively communicating the situation, my wants my needs and and the other needs of of the whole outcomes for the group in relationship to the conversation. So when you were talking I I definitely had this response internally in my body like oh my goodness yes that feeling of how good enough relates directly to conversations. And they don't always have to be hard conversations, but there is that level of sometimes Replaying the words that were said during the conversation in my own mind and wondering how I could have done better. And that can be really toxic for me in some ways because that can lead to a level of perfectionism that's just not attainable and a level of nitpicking that isn't healthy. On the other hand, it can also be helpful for me in thinking about the intentionality I do put into conversations. And the presence I bring to those, and uh, the the care I bring to them, so it's a, it's a challenging thing in conversations to think about good enough and and getting better. So that's where my mind went with that. Dealing with good enough in conversations is something I think it's worth exploring because it comes up for not only myself and my own relationships, but also with a lot of people that I coach or interact with in a intimate relationship, conversations are challenging for us to consider good enough because we have a few goals in mind when we talk about conversations. Number one, we want to be able to provide care to the individual and we want to care for ourselves. And there's a level of vulnerability in that interaction that makes it really challenging To feel like what is said, what is carried, what is felt, is in fact good enough. So when you were talking about you know conversations and the example of your conversation, the challenging conversation you had with the individual and how that related to your concept and and internalization of good enough, I had a very similar response as you were talking. I, I could feel internally those. Uh, certain feelings that I was having about difficult conversations I've had in the past, and how that has related to this concept of being good enough. You're good enough because you are who you are, right? And yet, in my own life, and in the people I interact with, in my job, and in my family and my friends, that message doesn't get internalized very well. So I'm curious what happens on a societal level that that keeps us from really feeling and understanding our own self-worth and value in this idea around good enough.
1: Um, It's a really good point. And it's one of the things that I often think about, especially when I think about um, our stories that we tell each that we tell ourselves, like for example, not just the stories that we say about ourselves, and and our personal stories. This is who I am. This is whatever. But it's the the stories that our culture tells. Like if you look at our fairy tales, and you look at our um, our movies. Um, you know, we're we're coming um, close to Christmas. We're coming close to the holidays here. And um, one of the things that I think about a lot is um, Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer, and also. Other songs and 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 stories about how the misfit or the character that has some kind of strange characteristic that the mainstream doesn't understand, and so they reject them. and they have to go through this this journey of of being rejected and And one of the things that I think one of the um, premises of these stories is that this person, this character does not have value yet and then somehow this characteristic that they have like for example Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer has a red nose and that's really weird and it glows but when there's a snowstorm that threatens Christmas and his glowing red nose saves the day all of a sudden Rudolph has value and they sing songs about him and it's great And I think that's an underlying message out there in our stories that in order to have value, you can't just be you. Rudolph couldn't just be, you know, this this reindeer with a strange red glowing nose. He gets ostracized and made fun of because of his difference until it becomes useful to the group. And if you think about the stories that um, we hear, um the fairy tales of people who don't fit in they don't really have value unless they have something to contribute it's there's very rarely a story where the characters are valued by just being it's very rarely an experience where the person is just accepted for who they are or just you know um appreciated for being and so the good enough Um, I think is a way for me of kind of, it's a reminder that me being me, I don't have to do anything or say anything special. Just me being me is enough. And I know there's some controversy with good because then of course, if there is good, then you dichotomize it and it's, it's bad, the good, the bad, good, evil, that kind of thing. But I think Saying good enough is, for me, reassuring. It's like, oh, I don't have to change anything to be good or whatever. It's it's a very tricky thing there. I think that word, like you said in the beginning, it's controversial, it's, it's sticky. Because if we say good, then it evokes feelings of the opposite. And it also kind of calls into the question of, so what if you just say you're enough? Isn't that um, sufficient to say enough? But I think that if you grow up in a society and you have this hidden message that you have to do, you have to earn, or you have to prove that you're worthy, good enough is needed because there is that hidden message that is kind of interwoven in our interactions in society, our stories. I think we need good enough because good enough counteracts the hidden story or the hidden belief, I guess, that we have to prove our worth or that we have to contribute something in order to be worth something. So I think that good enough is a way of counteracting that hidden premise uh, that we kind of grew up with. If you're American, um, I think at least in my experience, let me just speak for myself, when I say good enough and getting better, it it reassures me I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to prove my worth. My worth is inherent. And by saying good enough, it's a way of kind of counteracting, responding to that, that hidden expectation that we have in society to be good, uh, to show that we're good.
0: I think that at the Collegiate level and even high schools were moving a little bit to a more passion-driven and mastery-driven, uh, uh, mastery-driven outcomes. Which, yes, are still production-type that might perpetuate this message that is not necessarily always effective. And on the other hand, it's helping to kind of remove the extrinsic motivators of grades or other ways that uh people might be extrinsically motivated to actualize their presence and gifts in the world and i really like that it's moving a bit from that and keeping in mind i don't think there's anything wrong with external or extrinsic motivations unless that becomes the end goal versus the intrinsic value and worth of someone's being and their experiences and what they have to offer. Uh, so I have some hope that we're headed to a, a, a more um, inclusive way of looking at mastery and and really helping people, you know, latch on to this idea that they are capable of what they pursue and they, when given the right you know tools and environments can do well and i think this is a hard one for me because i was always so motivated by grades uh growing up through high school through college and i am so grateful right now to be in a class that's not graded because i still hold this uh this value on getting the grade cuz that can prove that i'm good that i can do this perfectly when, in fact, when I can sit back and learn the content that I'm learning in a way that I think is going to be most helpful to my clients, I can then find you know, more value in more of the being space for myself, which gives me more energy to focus on myself and others. And also, it gives me the efficacy to do my work at a higher level, so it's kind of like good enough helps me do better, <laughs> leading to that do better message versus striving for for something else as well. Um, so I also like this concept of good enough, and I also like it in relationship to iteration you know, it's part of creation. It's part of people's creative work. It's part of editing and the writing process. You try something and then possibly collaboratively, not even just by yourself, you work in a space together to move toward a better understanding of something or a better product, leading to this idea of, of good enough, but not perfect. And In that, I think people hold a level of self-love and self-compassion when they can embody uh, that type of thinking. The other piece to that then leads into the coaching aspect because everybody I talk to, when they ask me about my job or when they tell me about my job, they always think that it's always about getting better. And that's not necessarily the case we have to unpack that and what that means for each individual. So, looking at moving from you know good enough to getting better um, in coaching, Lashawn, how do your clients internalize getting better?
1: Well, one of the things that I often talk to my clients about when we start a coaching relationship is you know what is something in your life that you would like to improve, something like that, and then. Uh When I ask them that we usually start by asking them to visualize what it would be like for for that part of their life to be ten percent better, because I think that if we do it in percentage or if we start off in small increments that that can be that can seem less overwhelming or more attainable, and also if if we can measure it, then um, we can see progress. Is if we say, I would like to have a better relationship with my uh, child, for example, let's just say, I'd like to have a better relationship with my child. If we aren't able to define it, if we aren't able to visualize what that would look like. So for example, if I want to have a better relationship with my child, I would have to look at what, what would prompt that need. So, for example, let's say we don't talk very well, like we don't communicate. Like, for example, my child says they need they express their needs and I have a tendency to fix it. And then my child shuts down and then I realize, oh, that was not productive. So then I can visualize it. what would be 10 percent better for, for me. What would be 10 percent better? Well, let's see. Um, I don't I'm I, I'm able to recognize when I'm. Trying to fix my child. So, my child comes with a problem. And rather than going straight to, okay, so what can we do to fix it? 10% better would be my child has a problem. I'll ask my child a question instead of giving them advice. So, what that would look like for my client, I believe, would be for them to be able to recognize when something is different in their interaction with their child and whether or not that different interaction evokes positive, pleasant feelings in them. That's what I do when I, when I discuss better with my clients is I want them to recognize one aspect, because if you look at everything, it can get really overwhelming. One aspect of their life or of a relationship that they would like to improve. What is it about it specifically? What is it about it that they are not satisfied with? And then what would make that ten percent better? What's one thing you could change in the way that you interact or in that situation that will make it ten percent better? That's how I approach it in my coaching is I feel it's really important to recognize it and then to visualize what it would be for it to be more satisfying for my client
0: also you know we don't use a lot of why in coaching, and there are some moments when I think it's helpful and These can be, you know, why do you, what's the motivation behind wanting to get better or wanting the situation to get better? um, and, And really trying to tap into one's understanding of their own motivations and why, where they're at and wanting to make any specific changes in their own lives to reach the outcome that they're looking for. And I'm all about bringing that down to is as much of a microscopic level as possible. Uh, one thing that I have found even in my own personal work outside of coaching is is really moving those micro-level changes to as much micro-level as possible. So let's say I'm going to increase my running goal each month, and instead of running you know, three miles in a week, I want to run four miles in a week. That's probably a big shift, right? It it, it sounds small, and the the actual time commitment isn't that much, but the the shift in your way of being, and your thinking, and your emotions, and your behaviors are so much to to adjust. There, so how can one bring that down to? I might run, not might, I will run three point one miles, right? That goes back to kind of your ten percent piece, adding in another point one zero. Although I don't think that's exactly the 10% map there, but uh, <laughs> we, get, we get the picture. It's um, good enough. So, yeah. So, so yeah, that's how I, I think about it. And then what about when you don't want to get better, but you want change in your life? What does that look like? That's really interesting because I guess we need
1: to define what better means because like if you want change. So for me, that's a very interesting question, Erin. And I would like you to speak more about that. But for me, I it's difficult for me to think of wanting change without it being motivated by wanting improvement. So please speak more to what you mean by that, because I'm, I'm really curious to know where that question is coming from.
0: Yeah, I think wanting change may not always mean wanting improvement or wanting something to get better, but I could be here in my thinking and understanding of of it because sometimes when we need to see change or we want change some of our steps are not necessarily forward uh, and even we have an intention of a goal or an outcome or an improvement and the first few days as we're working toward that we take some steps backwards. That's not necessarily improvement, and yet it's leading to a more lasting change for an individual. So I think that might have been where my mind was going, is that we don't need to put so much pressure on ourselves when we do set goals or try to achieve those goals for the situation to get better or get better right away, or for us to see improvement and see outcomes. Uh, So it kind of goes back to that theme of our podcast, that uh, coaching as benevolence and being benevolent with ourselves and taking the lessons out of the movements backwards or sideways or completely off the map, like taking those is, as a way to understand ourselves better and integrate our wants and needs and lived experiences into something that eventually does manifest into change that one expects or one hopes for. So that's how I've described that. What do you think, Lashawn? Well, that's that's a really good point.
1: Um, it's a lot clearer for me now as you um, expound on the um, on the concept of change, but not to be better, because. I agree. I think that that's part of the process of change. You might start moving pieces in your life, and it may not be an immediate, positive or um, satisfying result. Yet, it is part of the process. So, when when you're talking about you know taking steps sideways or, or backwards or you know whatever. Um not necessarily improving or not necessarily making it better in that with that change that the process of uh, making changes or um making a lasting change, which then, as I understand it would be something that would be the end result would be. An improvement. However, between A and Z, there's definitely some, there's going to be some uh, messes there.
0: I love how you framed it A to Z, Hmm. because I think there is always a lot in between what happens when you set a goal and meet a goal. And not that the goal has to seem far off, because Oftentimes in coaching, the goals we set together are very um, small and achievable and, and within a timeline that's reasonable and hopefully as, as quick as possible if if that's what they're looking for. Um, but even in that shortened timeframe of reaching a goal, there's all of the things in between that happen. And I like that thinking of it A to Z. I hadn't thought about that using A to Z, that phrase in that way so thanks for that nugget I'm gonna (laughs) throw that one away (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah. it's
1: and I I also um, notice something that's that I I appreciate about um, how you approach processes and like uh, coaching Uh, I I remember a few episodes back you mentioned something I said that sometimes when we um, approach self-development or we approach coaching, we can kind of use it as kind of a, a tool, or like a way to like kind of beat ourselves up or like abuse it is what I said, because we're wanting to improve ourselves. And then you said, which is really quite interesting, that with the way that you see coaching, and you can correct me if I'm paraphrasing this wrong. But the way that you see coaching is you're finding ways to make your life better. It's not so much that you're improving yourself, but that you're finding strategies and tools and and ways to navigate life better. Is that correct? Am I paraphrasing you correctly?
0: No, I think that's, that's very true. I think there's also the secondary piece of the personal development that might happen or that's a part of this. But yeah, I very much think it's about a a toolbox and a very individualized one and a very specific one to address the person's, you know, place in the world, their own lived experiences, their own individuality. So those tools that help the individual move forward or finding a way and making it better, they're so different for everyone. I don't like the idea that we'll see all the time and in some of the self-help, if you do this for this amount of days, then you'll lose 30 pounds or whatever it is. Like that's, that's not how change works. That's not how humans work. And I really wanna dig into this idea that we all, nobody in the world has the same lived experience as any individual. So why would we think, you know, there's specific coping strategies that work exactly you know, for every individual? It, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, so yes, to, a long answer to your question, but yes, absolutely, we provide tools. Uh, well, not provide. We co-construct tools and strategies to help people navigate their their lives yeah thanks for pointing that out. That makes a lot of sense. The thing you said earlier made me think of this idea of living a light hearted life when you're seeking self improvement because that can often feel so heavy and 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 I think when you talked about Rudolph, there is a level of playfulness that exists potentially just thematically in that story uh and yet. How do you, how do we stay lighthearted when society isn't matching our needs or other people or uh, experiences? How do we stay lighthearted as we continue to be intentional about growth or getting better or being good enough?
1: That's a very good point. One of the things that I've noticed about I often take life and things in life seriously, too seriously. And one of the things that I have gotten the habit of doing when I can see that I'm taking this situation or this conversation or this you know this um experience too seriously is and this kind of goes back to like being um you know a student for so long and and being in academia the kind of high stakes that you kind of feel like you're being evaluated i don't know that's how that's how i've experienced being um in academics for so long i always feel like i'm being evaluated and um and i tell myself okay there's no there's no nobody's keeping score nobody's you know Ticking off all the things you're doing wrong here, and they're going to give you a feedback form. And <laughs> you know, you're not going to get a grade. This is okay. This is fine. You know, life is about experiencing it, and it's about um, the mistakes and the fumbles and the not getting it right the first time or not at all ever. <laughs> you know, it's it's all about. the experience and I think one way that we can take these things lightly is we can we can approach it from a standpoint of hey you know what the world isn't going to end if this happens or you know this I'm I'm okay this this is okay we're okay kind of thing you know like where you're just really gentle with yourself which comes back to coaching as benevolence being kind to yourself being gentle with yourself in a situation soothing yourself saying it's okay you know i'm okay it's not the end of the world We're, i'm going to make it i'm still here <laughs> excuse me i'm still here so it's it's the it's the idea that you know i'm still here i'm going to make it no no worries this isn't this isn't a test. This isn't a test. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Those are the things that I tell myself when I feel like I'm taking things too seriously. Um and that's the way that I take things lightly. How about you, Erin? How do you take things lightly?
0: I so I tend to have a fairly positive outlook on life, like with the Clifton Strengths Assessment. Positivity is in my top five, and yet I really struggle with taking things lightly. So that's a real like the difference between positivity and taking things lightly. That I could use a lesson in taking things lightly. <laughs> Although I will say uh, I that is something that has improved with age, whether that's experience or intentionality or a mix of things or therapy or all the things. Um, but I think part of it is being able to process my thoughts aloud, being able to integrate running into my life allows me to feel more grounded in my experiences and, and allows me to be more helpful to others and, and helpful to myself and those as well. I always like humor last night. Uh Matt he's my husband, he and I watched a little bit of a stand up comic on Netflix, and we always joke because my four year old is such a comedian. She was born to be a comedian um, but there's this comedian that looks a lot like her, and we're like that's what she's gonna look like when she's adult maybe um, <laughs> and we always enjoy having fun with watching that those types of Programming, and I think that helps me take things more lightly because I actually laugh, and laughter is, you know, a very good tool. Sometimes, I will say there've been moments in my lives where I've been in my life where I've been, com- life where I have been completely stuck and depressed and unable to help myself move forward and so another piece is recognizing and holding those spaces and those people very gently when the, when they're in those places in society uh and and allowing them to have the smallest of small winds whether that's a shower or you know something else so it's on such a spectrum with where I'm at in my life, uh, what's going on in my life, and I think it could be a good tool to use consistently as a proactive strategy in my own life, looking at what are some tangible things I do to take things lightly every few days or once a week. and yeah, I think I, I think for me to go back to the humor piece, uh, the, so that's definitely a strategy. For me, the running I mentioned, and then connecting with other people. Um, I think those are keys for me in how I take things lightly. So, yeah, it kind of leads into a little bit of a coaching nugget there. I guess we can move into that space, if that sounds okay. Do you have anything else you want to add before we do that?
1: No, I mean, I would say that um, that sounds like a really good, segue into the coaching nugget because, um, you know, just the three, it's interesting. You you often do it in threes, (laughs) like the three things that you just mentioned (laughs) that you do. Three is good. Three is good. Um, yeah, I think it would be really good to (laughs) move into a coaching nugget. And if you have a coaching nugget in, in mind, I will invite you to. Share with our listeners your coaching nugget because I still do. need to think about mine.
0: <laughs> okay, so you're so right. I like to do things in threes. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I'll just stick with the concept of how I stay light, or I often use the word buoyant through making changes in my own life and and managing those difficulties in my own life. And those three that I mentioned were humor, relationships what was the third one the <laughs> humor um I did the connection connecting with others oh, what was the other one yeah it was humor relationships and there was one more um oh yes so humor relationships and then for me it's the grounding things such as running oh um, right running those are my yeah. three
1: yes um I I'm humor is my go-to too cuz I was like really taking life way too seriously uh and I just listened to um a bunch of comedy on YouTube um just you know stuff that like immediately makes you laugh. Uh I would say like my coaching nugget would be to kind of go with our whole theme and coaching as benevolence being kind uh and finding ways to be kind to yourself and one of the things that um, has been a game changer for me uh, that came when um, I adopted uh, positive intelligence coaching into my practice. And one of the things I don't think we really take into account is how we approach situations, that that can be actually, we can be both cruel and kind to ourselves when we approach situations in such a way that everything is terrible, (laughs) you know this is the worst thing ever you know we really just rub it up um and i think one way to take things lightly is just to see any situation and i and i and i will also preface this with understanding that there are situations in which you know it's not so easy to take things lightly but if we could just have an overall belief that hey things are not so serious, you know, that life itself is not so serious. Like if we could just kind of see life as like a simulation or a, I don't know, like a game, it might make it easier. And it, it, it makes it easier for me to kind of see life as this journey that I'm on. And it's not always going to be great. It's not always going to be perfect, but it's all, it's all good. So if I could, we could make a habit of seeing our situations and seeing life in general as generally a good thing, Um, and maybe even seeing it as kind of a, a game or or something that's not so serious. I think that would really help with making life easier, because often it is how we perceive things, and we can perceive things as you know, hey or if we can perceive things as interesting or we can perceive things as oh that's that's um that's something that you know i could learn or that's that's not so high stakes so i would say that if we could look at life as a game or a simulation not not something so serious that it might help with seeing things as good enough and getting
0: better I hear from listeners as well how they internalize good enough and getting better, and mm. any stories they have to share that we might include in in the future. And I think that's all I have to say for today. I feel like I need some comedy now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I I think that this whole thing is just, you know really great to look at things as good enough and getting better. And I think um, there is a lot to be said about. Taking the time to think about it and uh, make it a daily practice of, hey, how can I make my life lighter? How can I make this situation lighter? Uh, Just for yourself,
0: you know. So, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Real quickly, lighter doesn't mean you care less. And and I think that's important for people to hear because sometimes that's the fear. So I love that you phrase that. How can I keep this lighter? doesn't mean I don't care. It doesn't mean that I'm not trying or just being, but I'm going to, I will make this lighter, softer, gentler, kinder.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I'm glad you brought that up because that is some a fear that if you make something lighter, somehow you don't care or that it's not important to you. But what I would say, I would actually argue that by making it lighter, I would say that you care more because if you make it lighter, then you can approach it with a calmer mood, in a calmer mood. You'll be able to approach it more effectively if you're looking at it from a lighter perspective. So I would argue that by making it lighter, it is actually a sign that you do care because you're getting out of your own way. (laughs) Because I think if we look at things heavily and we think something so serious then we can get wrapped up in our own anxiety um, and we can get locked uh, into inaction or not really responding if we don't make it lighter. So that's just, I've put that out there as well. Thanks for joining us for Coaching as Benevolence. I'm LaShawn with Michelle Sage
0: Place. Positive Intelligence Coaching. And I'm Erin with Roots and Wings, Grief and Loss Coaching. Have a Benevolent Day!